The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Coming up, Beth Moore explains how to overcome the shame that can trap you in a net. I, I want to suggest to you that for many of us, on this side of the camera, on that side of the screen, for many of us, the biggest net we have been in in the course of our lives has been shame. It has been the net. It's what's kept us caught. And here's, here's what can happen to us. Getting out of the net, next on Life Today. Today, I'm James Robinson. Betty and I are thrilled to have this time with you. I'm looking at Sheila Walsh's uh, book that's out now, The Longing in Me, How Everything You Crave Leads to the Heart of God. That doesn't mean everything you crave is appropriate, but every, every desire has its ultimate fulfillment appropriately and in the most meaningful fashion in, in the relationship that we can actually have with a living person, Jesus. And uh, here's Christine Kane talking about unashamed. What a teacher. I mean, these two ladies are incredible. Beth Moore joins with them. T.D. Jakes' daughter. I mean, what an incredible gift. Uh, just, just absolutely amazing. Lisa Bevere, uh, Living Your Destiny. We're going to tell you how you can get this teaching material. There's not a woman, probably not a man watching that wouldn't be blessed to read the books, but also to listen to the teaching. And Betty, I think it's just a privilege we get to offer this. Absolutely. Great tools to be an encouragement to us, you know, as we're trying to really serve the Lord and, and do what He's called us to do. And I think all of this material will just bless you immensely. Well, we're going to hear Beth Moore talking about getting out of the net. And this is a very interesting teaching because a lot of us are held by something. I mean, there's like something's got a hold on us that we actually need help to break the grip and to get out of the net, so to speak. And uh, I want you to just welcome Beth Moore. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here's Beth. I want you to notice with me a couple of verses. Did you notice that it starts in verse 2 of Psalm 25? Oh, my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to, what word do some of you have right there? Let me not be put to shame. Indeed, uh, verse 3 says, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. At the very end of the, um, of the chapter, it goes back to it again in verse 20 of that same chapter, 25. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to, what is that word? Shame. To shame. Did you know that shame is such a biblical concept uh, something that the Word of God speaks so vividly over that it is mentioned first in Genesis chapter 2 and mentioned for the last time in Revelation 21. That means that only Revelation goes, you know, those are my two favorite now that I have a new Bible. I'm really into Genesis and Revelation. And only the first chapter and the last chapter, uh, those would be the bookends, that ultimate way that we were called to live through the redemption of our God and His perfect plan is without shame. But some 150 times in between, it speaks about this thing that falls upon us called shame. I want you to think in very broad terms because 
somehow we, and this certainly applies, but we tend to put um, sexual sin on the top of every shame list. And certainly it has caused many of us, myself included, a ton of shame. So definitely, definitely keep it there, but don't let it sit there by itself because you know better than to think that that is the only way we can feel like we have been shamed. Shame can come socially. I mean, we don't have any idea, those of us who are in my generation, what our high schoolers are dealing with when they get broken up with on Facebook. They don't find out that, that their guy is seeing somebody else until they realize that they have been defriended and someone else is in. They'll find out they've broken up when there's no relationship status on that page. I mean, it's a whole new world. That social shame. I watched a program recently on the television about uh, bullying, and the whole bullying um, process had taken place on a public blog. It was a high schooler. That is social shame, very real, professional shame. You, you know what I'm talking about, occupational shame, financial shame. You can go through a, a, a bankruptcy uh, that might have been brought on by all manner of things, maybe a, 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 a cataclysmic illness or accident. And there's just that, that shame. Um, and we can feel shamed by our families, perhaps of origin. We can feel ashamed of our relatives. And what's really, really eye-opening is that right now some of our relatives may be ashamed of us in particular. And, <laughs> We can be ashamed of an old boyfriend. We can be ashamed of ourselves. We can feel shame um, over something uh, religiously, vocationally. Maybe uh, you feel shamed because you sort of publicly said that God had called you to ministry, yet nothing has happened yet. And that can bring shame. And we have to go back to the Word of God and see what happened in lives like Abraham where we see how God worked over time that the call very often well precedes the practice of that calling. Very, very often, but there can be shame wrapped up in it. Um, quitting something can cause you shame. Uh, somebody watching today, somebody in here just like quit high school and like you're now maybe 45 years old and you're still ashamed that you quit high school. Does that make any sense to anyone? Maybe it was college. And I started thinking to myself how much quitting can cause us, whatever it may have been that we quit. I want to say something to you today. Some things need quitting. Some things need quitting. Quitting is not always a bad thing. But there can be a lot of shame wrapped into it. Um, I, I just jotted down in my notes that... Um, we all have an innate fear of bringing shame. And I believe that we all have an innate fear of being shamed. Do you think that's true? It's one of our primal fears. I've, I've dealt with it a lot. You know, oh, it is a sad thing when you give the enemy as much ammunition as I've given my enemy. Because, listen... I mean, before I came out to serve you today, I listened to C.C. Winans sing on my iPod, Alabaster Box. Because I don't know if you know much about the lyrics to that song, but it's talking about the woman who comes in, the sinful woman who comes in and she just pours out uh, the perfume in her alabaster box upon the feet of Christ because she's been forgiven. She's been forgiven. 
There's a line that brings me to tears almost every time where she says, no one knows the cost of the oil in this alabaster box. I'm so aware of where I've been. I've got chill bumps on me telling you about it. I, I've given the enemy so much ammunition. And, and before I do something like this, believe you me, he knows to play the card. And I have to be ready. I have to be ready with my scriptures. I've said a, a whole chapter of scripture within the last hours before coming out here from memory, just speaking what I know to be the truth of God's word because I know he will harass me. There's just shame. There's just shame. Many of us know exactly what it's talking about. And I want you to look with me that the, the psalmist who wrote these words and asked God to not let him be shamed had been in tremendous sin. I want you to see it with me. A couple of verses speak it. I tried to emphasize it when I read it, but I, wanna, I want you to see it again, especially because somebody will have just uh, joined in with us as we're talking about being plucked out of a net. Verse 7 says, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Then verse 11, says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for what? Somebody tell me what it says. For it is great. It is big. It is large. Um, there's another verse. Let me see. Verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. So I, I want to um, show you that there, there is a difference between the two because this is extremely important. The psalmist is admitting that he has been in sin, but he is asking not to be in shame. That's very, very important because we, we compile those things. We mix those up like cake batter until we can't tell the difference. Listen, we have a redeemer. Our Savior came to forgive sins. He had, the Son of Man Luke chapter 5 says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. It's what he came for. And so we get to say, even though, Lord, my sins have been great, still, please deliver me from shame. I want to remind you today of what um, Hebrews chapter 12 says, that Jesus himself despised the shame. Listen, you're, you're not, it's not humility if you're just like carrying around all your shame. Don't call that humility. Oh, no, that's not what humility is. He despises shame. He came to deliver us from shame. Uh, so here, here's what I'm pitching out to you because you, you may be thinking, okay, what does this have to do with the net? Well, because I am wondering if there are times when shame is the net. Do you think that could be possible? I want you to write down number three. Shame cannot up, and I mean K-N-O-T, not. I want you to think in terms of that, those threads knotted together. Shame cannot up an insidious net. Shame cannot, feel it, feel it just tying up a knot, cannot an insidious net. I, I want to suggest to you that for many of us, on this side of the camera, on that side of the screen, for many of us, the biggest net we have been in in the course of our lives has been shame. It has been the net. It's what's kept us caught. And here's, here's what can happen to us. We can have long since been delivered from the sin and still be in the shame because we've trusted God for only half the work to forgive us but not to deliver us. 
And so what happens, and the enemy has so much to gain, and I want to prove that to you. The enemy has so much to gain if, uh, if we'll stay in that net of shame. Because what happens is this. Say I have repented over a long-term um, addictive area of sin, which I have um, certainly had in the course of my life. Say I, um, I've been delivered from it, and it was hard. Because, listen, for many of us, our addictions... I mean, they had their pluses. It was something that they did for us, and it was very short term, but it worked at first. That's why we got caught in it. And say I repented and I, I was delivered. And I, I want to say, for example, I want to use the area of sexual sin because I think that this trap happens all the time. We will repent. We will literally have walked away from the behavior. But if we stay in the shame, we don't feel any better. Can someone go with me there? Here's what the enemy is banking on. We're going to stay in it long enough to go, you know what? I don't feel any better not doing it. I'm going back. We don't realize that it's not the sin. It, we, we've been delivered from the sin. We're still standing in the shame. We're still standing in the shame. It's a net under our feet. And so what happens is we just go back because we think, you know what? I thought it was going to feel better. I don't feel better. If anything, I feel worse. Well, why? Because the enemy is just working that shame and working that shame and working that shame. I jotted down this. Shame is uh, Satan's laughter morphed into a human emotion. I, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't have a scripture to, to really like uh, completely confirm that, but I just started thinking if we were to think of how Satan's laughter could become a human emotion, it would be our sense of shame. Psalm 25, 2, we've been in Psalm 25, verse 2 out of the New Century Version says it this way, do not let my enemies laugh at me, laugh at me. Listen, anytime you are in a net of shame, your enemy is laughing at you. Because it is his big thing. It is his big thing. I need to know, is anybody just resonating with this? That, can we see, I want to know that somebody out there, that you see the difference between sin and shame. Because that's what the psalmist is talking about, deliver me from the shame. Okay, what I hope to show you is that what the enemy is intending with every single shroud and net of shame he casts on us is to keep us from looking up. Hold something here in Psalm 25 and go with me to Luke 21. Luke 21. I, I want you to look at verse 27. Luke 21, verse 27. It's talking about at the end of this age when Christ Jesus returns and every eye I will see him every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And it says, and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Everybody say straighten up. Straighten up, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now listen carefully because I'm going to talk conceptually here. When Christ is desiring to reveal himself to us, because that will be the ultimate revelation, every eye will see him. But the concept is also true that he so wants to reveal himself to us. 
He so wants to show us that he's at work in our lives and, and to um, reveal himself in all manner of ways through his word, through our circumstances, uh, through people that he places in our lives. He wants to reveal himself to us. But if we're looking down, we're going to miss him. We're going to miss him. And shame makes you look down. Do you know that some of us, do you know that even your posture can be affected by your shame? You, you deal with it long enough and it literally will bend over your shoulders. What happens is that when you and I are standing in a net, once we realize it, when, then we are obsessed with looking down at it. Would anybody say that that's true? Like, we just, I got to stare down because that's where the net is. When biblically what the prescription is, look up. The way out is not because we're doing all this. Because we're just trying, we're just scooting our feet against that net. We're doing everything we can to get ourselves loose because all our attention has now gone to the net. And he said, look up, look up, straighten up, raise your head for your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption will only come when you are looking up. So I don't care how deep you're in. You may feel like that net has come all the way up around your neck. Just lift up that sweet head and say, Jesus, come pluck my feet out of this net. And that is number four. The Lord will pluck your feet out of the net. The Lord, the Lord will pluck my feet out of the net. And boy, that ought to be our heart cry. If any, anything holds us back, pulls us down, holds us captive, we need help getting out. Sometimes we get entangled by our own rotten decisions or even rebellion. Sometimes it's just like circumstances trap us. But whatever it is, Father, help everyone watching and listening today to break free. Take the seeds that Beth has sown and bring forth something beautiful in the life of every person watching. In Jesus' name. You know, we give you an opportunity not only to hear good teaching or testimonies when we talk to our guests, but we give you an opportunity. Now, really think about this. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He says we are his body as believers, the church, which means we can express the heart of God in a very visible, meaningful, tangible way. We can, in a way, be the hands and the arms of a loving Father. You're going to listen to a young man that our daughter Robin spent a lot of time praying for, the one that's in heaven right now. Because in school, she'd say sometimes, we need to pray for Kyle. He, he just needs to get on target, and we would pray. And Kyle is one of the leaders in our mission outreach. You're going to hear him. He's a miracle of God's grace, a wonderful father and husband, a wonderful mission worker. Listen to Kyle. Listen to God. Do what God impresses you to do. Mission feeding absolutely does save lives. It's undeniable. We've watched it rescue children from death's door. But I want to make sure that you understand another beautiful reality about mission feeding. You see, 
Starvation has a paralyzing effect on the developing brain of a child. And what makes it worse is that in areas like this, so often children aren't even allowed to go to school. They're instead expected to be at home with their parents to help work. Now I want you to imagine that that was your reality, that your children were being robbed of their opportunity for education because you needed them at home for the survival of your family. But what if they had the opportunity for a meal every day and with it, the opportunity for an education? Well, because Life Outreach locates its mission feeding program in village schools, parents not only allow, they want them to be there because they realize that it may be the only meal that they get that day. With your help, we can stop the debilitating effects of starvation. Teachers, as they now do, have to bang on doors to get kids to come to school. But through mission feeding, you will see kids arrive at school before the teachers. Their hunger for food will lead them to a hunger for learning. You will rescue more than their lives. You'll rescue their future and the future of Africa as a whole. I love to see those children learning. Listen to me, when we started, the children were, and by the way, it's still that way where there's drought and crisis. They don't, there's no system over there to assist. Uh, there's not where wealth and compassion can reach out and where people can share who care. It's just simply not there. The resources are not there. They have to come from someone who's been blessed and able to reach out. But when you reach out to them, like we are right now, 400,000 children that we've located in various areas where many of them, Tens of thousands are facing starvation because of drought and because of crop failure and nothing to eat. So we go in there and we stabilize. But once we stabilize, then we help inspire and encourage and sometimes even build a school facility. And then, this is what the missionaries learned firsthand, that now even the World Food Program has picked up. Thank God for that. School feeding keeps the kids coming to school. But it's all done by love and by the charitable giving of people who just care. So if we can feed at these schools, these kids who we've stabilized their situation, now they can go on and get an education. For 25 years, we've been working with Peter Pretorius and his wife, Ann, and all of their team. And now we've seen many of these kids whose lives were saved by love through people like you. They're school teachers, some are college professors, some are law enforcement officers, some of them are leaders in the community or in the city or in the government. I mean, it has been total transformation where you reach out in love and you don't just keep people living on handouts, you teach them to learn and you inspire them to go and then they become effective contributors in their own country. And we've seen the miracles happen. It's awesome, James. I look at it as a double blessing. First of all, most important, we feel, we feel their tummies with the nutrition and the nourishment they need so they can grow up. And then we feed their minds and their hearts with the love of Jesus and give them knowledge. And what a blessing that is, James. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. And you don't have to wonder, do those workers and teachers talk about Jesus and talk about God's love? You better believe it. Why? That's what saved their lives. And you can see the miraculous, actually, is the way our own country here in America was born. And we've forgotten our roots. Well, look, it's love that never fails. Would you help us? A $1,400 gift will take care of a school feeding, an average of 150, 140 children for the next months. 5,600 will cover that whole school for a year. 
Do you still remember that $30? And surely you've heard this. If not, listen, 30, 50, or 100, we can feed three, five, or 10 children for the next months. Would you right now go, please do this in love. Just let love carry you. Get your bank card, use it like a check. Go to lifetoday.org. Go online and use that card like a gift check. That's how you should always use it. Or call the phone number there and say, I want to make a gift. If you could sponsor a school, do it. If you could help us feed three, five, or ten, please do it. There's a level at which you can participate. We've got a wonderful gift to send you. The teaching by some of the most anointed and gifted women in the world. Living your destiny. We want to bless you, but you're going to be giving these children a future, a hope, a life. Thank you for going online or dialing that number. Thank you for giving life. In remote and impoverished areas of Africa, families are suffering, facing death by starvation, and those hit the hardest are the children. Life's Mission Feeding Program is there, ready to feed and care for these children in crisis areas of Angola, Mozambique, and Sudan. With all of our previous reserves gone and Southern Africa facing its worst drought and food shortage in years, we urgently need to replenish our food supplies to reach 400,000 children counting on us. Your life-saving gift of $30, $50, or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for the next three months. Please also consider a special gift of $1,400 to help sponsor a school and help feed 140 children for three full months. With your gift of any amount, we'll send you the brand new audio series, Living Your Destiny. Hear five outstanding Bible teachers and women of faith share how to live the life God destined for you. With your gift of $100 or more, you'll also receive The Longing in Me by Sheila Walsh and Unashamed by Christine Kane. And finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more, be sure to request Majesty, our 2016 commemorative bronze sculpture. Please call, write, or go online today and make your gift of life to help feed and care for hungry children. Well, in behalf of all of the precious children and families you're going to impact with love, and with the essential food, thank you, and the school feeding. I hope if you can, you'll help us take care of one of those schools for several months, maybe even a year. You make a gift, we'll send you Living Your Destiny, the beautiful books and the helpful, uh, I believe, uh, insight and inspiration will mean so much to you. We want to thank you for watching Life Today and for sharing Life Today. I remind you as you're praying about the future of our nation, go to the stream, stream.org. You're going to see wisdom and insight, and you're going to hear transforming truth and get hope. Thanks for watching Life Today. Thank you for being with us.
In his new book, The Stream, James Robison charts a plan for spiritual revolution in America. The Stream, available now online and at retail bookstores. Tomorrow, co-hosts of Marriage Today, Jimmy and Karen Evans, describe the transformation in their marriage as moving from pain to paradise. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.